From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm the host of today's special edition episode, MP Education Specialist Eve Roberts, and this is MP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AMP's monthly podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. As always, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new conversations with nurse practitioners and healthcare leaders from across the nation. Over two-thirds of the U.S. population has overweight or obesity. However, initiating a conversation about weight can be challenging and misconceptions about weight and obesity can undermine the conversation. I am excited about this episode because our experts are going to discuss how to initiate effective and respectful conversations that will lead to better patient health and outcomes. I also want to let you know that AMP is developing a multi-module CE activity entitled Clinical Advantage Bootcamp Obesity Management Fundamentals that will be released in late December in the AMP CE Center. It is my pleasure to welcome our experts for today's podcast, Nurse Practitioner Sandra Christensen and PA Carly Burridge. Hello, everyone. My name is Carly Burridge. I'm a physician assistant and fellow of the Obesity Medicine Association, and I earned my Certificate of Advanced Education in Obesity Management in its inaugural year in 2017. I've been working in obesity management for the last eight years, both on the surgical and on the non-surgical side. My passion is educating providers on how to incorporate science-based, compassionate obesity management into their everyday practices so that more patients living with obesity can get the help that they deserve. In fact, I recently founded GainingHealth.com to focus on coaching providers who are new to obesity medicine or those who want to start a program or clinic in obesity management. I believe that the first step in advancing the field of obesity is to work towards overcoming weight bias and stigma by educating providers and the public about the science behind weight and by reducing the implicit bias that is still unfortunately so common. I've been involved with numerous organizations and initiatives to further the field of obesity management along with Sam and several other passionate, brilliant NPs and PAs. I was the chair of the NPPA committee of OMA for several years, and I currently serve on the board of the Illinois Obesity Society. In 2017, I was awarded the OMA Committee Leadership Award for my role as the chair of the NPPA committee. And in 2018, I received the Vernon B. Asler Award for helping advance OMA's position. And I was honored to be the 2020 recipient of the Dr. Raymond E. Dietz Meritorious Service Award. And now I am very honored and excited to introduce Sander Christensen, who's a longtime friend and who was my mentor when I first got started in obesity medicine. So welcome, Sam. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Carly. What a lovely uh, resume you have. You're a very accomplished obesity medicine clinician, and it's my honor to know you and work with you and have you as a colleague as well as chat with you today on this podcast. I'm Sandra Christensen. I 
People refer to me as Sam, so you're welcome to call me that if you ever see me or talk to me. Um, I have specialized, I'm a family nurse practitioner, and I have specialized in obesity medicine for the past 15 years. I serve as a trustee on the Obesity Medicine Association Board of Trustees, and I'm also a fellow of that organization. I love my clinical practice, and I equally love to educate other clinicians about the disease of obesity and how they can address it with their patients. I own Integrative Medical Weight Management in Seattle, Washington, where I provide comprehensive obesity treatment for patients in a comfortable, welcoming, warm setting. I also am a co-author of the Obesity Medicine Association Obesity Algorithm. So it's an honor to be here today, and I'm excited for our conversation. Well, Sam, you know, it's so great that we have you here today because you truly are one of the pioneers in obesity medicine, and, you know, we owe so much to you today. So let's start with this first question. So, Sam, why do you think it's important to discuss weight with our patients? Well, the most compelling reason is so that they can receive treatment. Currently, 42% of all U.S. adults have obesity and another 33% have a BMI in the overweight category. And that means that 75% of adults in our country are an unhealthy weight. And only a very small portion of those people are receiving treatment. So given the risks that obesity poses to health, it's very important for us to get the conversation going so that we can get people into treatment. And so many uh, folks out there, clinicians, patients, members of society, don't really understand that obesity is a disease and they don't understand or know that there's evidence-based treatment available. So it's our job to bring up the conversation so that we can tell them what's available and really educate them on the condition that they have. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It's just so important that we address this, that we bring this up so that we can give them the care that they need. And also, because when you think about it, you know, what do most providers spend the majority of their time doing? They're usually treating one of the over 236 medical conditions that are caused by or exacerbated by excess weight. And so by ignoring the weight, what are we doing, right? If we can address the weight, then we can really help them with all of those conditions that are affected by excess weight, right? That's exactly right. And that's why we want to treat the obesity first, because so often we're chasing after all those complications, the high blood sugar, high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, fatty liver, uh, some of the other uh, orthopedic complications. And if we can just address the obesity first, all those other conditions will likely improve, some will resolve, and, at the, and, and what's also important is that we can prevent further complications from developing. And right. so it, it might seem like here's another thing you have to add on your list of things to talk about. But in reality, if you can address it first, a lot of those other things that you spend time on will take care of themselves. 
Right. And that's that's such a shift in mindset that needs to happen. Right. Because it seems like right now the priority is treating all of the complications of obesity and then, you know, maybe mentioning weight as the person's heading out the door. And oh, yeah, just just remember to try to eat less and move more. Right. And that's that's yeah. considered, you know, addressing the obesity. Um, and so clearly that that is not working. So that kind of brings us to my next question. What do you think it is that prevents or stops clinicians from bringing up the topic of weight rather than, you know, waiting for it to be a door handle issue? What do you think prevents that conversation? Well, I think there's a lot of barriers that clinicians have, um, as well as patients. But you know, most clinicians, I think, recognize the health risks of obesity and they do feel a responsibility to address it, but they don't necessarily have education about obesity. They don't know um, that there's evidence-based treatments. They don't know if they're effective. They don't know uh, how to utilize them in their current practice. Um, and they also don't know how to bring up the conversation. Um, Many have tried things like what you just described, you know, the door handle, you know, and by the way, you probably need to lose some weight, um, but they don't really feel like they have gotten the results from a conversation like that, that they hope for, um, because time is so limited. And that, that's one of the biggest barriers we have in clinical practice these days. Um, they're afraid to bring it up because they don't want to you know, open up this giant conversation. And so they do it in that really quick, um, by the way, here's another thing you need to work on and understandably don't get the response from patients or the interest from patients that they hope for. Um, they also have misconceptions about um, patients' comfort in talking about it. And they're, they're afraid that they're going to embarrass them or make them uncomfortable in some way, or that they think patients aren't motivated. But I'm mm -hmm. sure you can speak to how, um, when you do bring it up, patients are often quite willing to talk about it. Yeah, I think it's all in how you bring it up, how you bring up that conversation and how you talk to the patient about it. Um, I think so often we're trained to be the experts. We're trained to give advice and tell people what to do because that works really well for certain medical conditions. So if somebody has a sinus infection or they have some kind of infectious disease, then you know you diagnose the condition and then you say, here, take these antibiotics, take them this many times a day and for this many days and you know do X, Y, and Z, and you send the patient on their way. And I think so many times, we we want to treat obesity the same way and we want to just tell our patients what to do when it comes to their nutrition or you know, like you said so many times people don't have the training and rather than telling our patients what to do we need to be partnering with our patients and it needs to be a collaborative conversation and we need to figure out what some of the barriers are for our patients for engaging in some of these behaviors um, and then, you know, we get on to further treatment. Of course, you know, we know that lifestyle changes alone typically do not result in um, very significant weight loss, that oftentimes we need additional evidence-based tools, which we have available, like 
medications, specific nutrition therapy, bariatric and metabolic surgery. You know, we have these tools available, but like you said, most clinicians have not had the training to know how to use these tools. Um, and they also, like you said, they're not convinced of their efficacy. And so I think that that's important for us to share too, that when you actually put together individualized treatment plans for patients, we see great success, you know, and that's why working in obesity medicine is so rewarding because when you actually put together an individualized comprehensive program like that for a patient and you see they're, they're so grateful, you really see their whole outlook change. You see their health change instead of prescribing medications, but your patient's just feeling worse and worse, but you're trying to control their blood pressure or whatever it is you're trying to control by adding more and more medications, you see the patient in front of you and they don't feel better. They're not getting healthier. You're just putting Band-Aids on, on the condition. So that's what's so great about obesity medicine is you're really getting to the root cause of all these medical conditions. And patients are so grateful when you can bring it up with them in a compassionate way and, and help them with this struggle that they've oftentimes had their entire lives and themselves blame themselves for this condition, right? And that's what makes that's it right. so different from yeah. other conditions too, is that patients blame themselves. So Sam, yeah. do you have some suggestions for uh, for the listeners for how to bring up the topic of weight in a way that um, is sensitive to how the patient feels? Well, the most important thing to keep in mind before you ever broach the topic is that weight bias and stigma are very common and your patients have internalized that weight bias and stigma as you have and because we're all part of a society that really stigmatizes obesity and so it's important to approach it with a great deal of respect for the person and their wishes and one of the best ways to broach the topic is to start with saying do i have your permission to discuss your weight or would you be comfortable discussing your weight? Now that is such a different approach than we use for all kinds of other conditions. You know, if someone comes in with, a, with ear pain, we don't ask, would it be all right if we talk about your ear? Or if they come in with even elevated blood sugar, we don't ask, would it be all right if we talk about your lab results? But that's because so many other conditions we treat haven't, it, don't have the level of stigma that obesity does and patients have been so wounded in so many instances in healthcare which breaks my heart every time i hear stories from folks about what's been said to them by other clinicians or uh, staff members so while it's a different approach than other conditions it's very important and whatever the patient says, if they're comfortable with it, then you can continue. But if they say no, you really have to honor that. And you have to say, I completely respect your wishes on this. I want you to know that the door is open. And if you ever want to talk about it in the future, you're certainly welcome to open the conversation with me. And we can also bring it up again. We don't have to wait. We can ask the next time we see them, do I have your permission? And that's just completely changing the dynamic that they've experienced in the past. And that in and of itself is very healing. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. 
what what option or uh, what ways do you open it up, Carly, or do you know of? Yeah, I think just exactly like you said, and it's it's in the five A's of obesity management, right? The first thing you start with is to ask, to ask permission to discuss this. And you can tie it to, you know, something else that they're maybe coming in to see you for. Maybe they're in for an annual physical or they're in to see you for, for joint pain. And, you know, you can say something like, you know, I'm concerned that your your weight might be contributing to this medical condition. And then, like you said, ask for permission. Would it be all right if we discussed um, your weight? And if they say yes, then I would say you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to dis- then discuss it in that appointment, right? That's what I correct. would recommend and what you would recommend as well, Sam, is that you say, okay, well, you know, would it be all right? Let's schedule a follow-up appointment in a couple weeks specifically to, to discuss that. Because we, you, can't, you can only fit so much into one appointment, mm-hmm. right? And we know, especially in primary care, they're trying to do so many things in one appointment. And it's just one more thing that they want to do. So again, schedule a separate appointment. Make the diagnosis of obesity. I think, first of all, that's important. Because Sam, as you mentioned, so many people don't even get the diagnosis of obesity. Only about 55% of people with obesity actually receive that formal diagnosis in their chart. Um, so diagnose it and schedule a follow-up specifically to address their obesity. You know, don't try to tie it into other, you know, another appointment or, or other issues that you're trying to discuss that day. Schedule a separate appointment to discuss weight. And I think if you do that, you know, you're letting the patient know that, you know, you want to help them with this. You're doing it in a sensitive way. You've asked their permission. And like you said, if they said, no, I don't want to talk about that right now, then you, you respect their decision and say, Hey, I totally understand. You know, maybe let them know that you've had some training in this and that, um, you know, we know a lot more now about what causes obesity than we did 20 years ago. And it's now it's recognized as a medical condition and that we have we have treatment options available because I think sometimes, too, patients are frustrated because they maybe they feel like they've already done everything that they can do or maybe they feel like, well, I already know what I need to do. I just need to do it. And Mm -hmm. there might be more things to it than they realize. And like you said, so many people internalize the weight bias and stigma, and they start to believe these things about themselves. And that's what's so damaging to them too, is they start to believe that the things that they hear in the public about people who struggle with weight, and that's just so damaging to them. So, you know, letting them know that there's there's science behind that there's a lot more to it than what most people realize, I think is important too. That's exactly right. And um, it's so often, even when a patient recognizes that it's a chronic health condition, they still think it's their responsibility to solve it in some way, even though they've likely tried numerous things in the past and they haven't worked. And so then that feels like more failure, but it doesn't occur to them to ask you. Um, Some will, um, but people either think it's their responsibility or they've been burned in the past. And so they don't bring it up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so you think that that's why a lot of times patients don't bring it up? Yes. And I think they're they're afraid of being blamed and mm-hmm. shamed about their weight. And they're really afraid of being given some simplistic solution. Like, well, you know what you need to do. You just need to push yourself away from the table 
and get up and move. And um, that kind of response really uh, is devastating to people who've tried so many things and have worked really hard and have likely lost lots of weight in their life and their challenges keeping it off or losing further weight, or even understanding that to lose five to 10% of their weight is metabolically beneficial and really reduces their health risks. So that's why it's important for us to bring it up again, back to that topic, because they need to get information and education from us that counters those ideas that they've absorbed or still what's out there in the media. You know, they need a reliable source of information. Yeah, and I also think, like you said, they need to hear it multiple times because they've had a lifetime of hearing the weight bias and stigma and internalizing that. And so, you know, one con one quick conversation about how it's, it's really not their fault. It's a lot more complicated than most people think, you know, hearing that one time is so important, but it's often not enough, right? That's right. Um, they they need to hear it. They need to see it. They need to, it's, it's really, um, I think it's also one of the very rewarding things about obesity medicine. When you start to see that light bulb go off, mm-hmm. when they start to realize, wow, like all this time, I just blamed myself and I just beat myself up about it. And there's actually a lot more to it and there is help and there is hope for me. That's Um, right. Yeah, yeah. we really have to frame it as a health issue, not a weight issue. And even in bringing up the topic, uh, another approach could be to say, you know, you came in today with knee pain and um, we've got some strategies for that, Um, but it, your weight could be affecting your knee pain and some of your lifestyle choices. And I wonder if you'd be comfortable talking about it so that we can improve your knee pain. Uh, So really, really connecting those things. And um, you really want to open the conversation, not close it down with simple ideas and strategies and yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, asking open-ended questions, right? It kind of comes back to a lot of the motivational interviewing that we talk about so much, you know, by giving them statements or by asking yes or no questions, you're kind of shutting down that conversation, right? But by ask, op- asking open-ended questions, you're, you're really welcoming that conversation because I think we do need to, it's so important to listen to our patients because so many times they have the answers. They have the majority of the answers, right? They do. Yeah. So it's really having that partnering relationship with them where it's not, you're not the expert and you're telling them what they need to be doing. It's, you know, you may have certain expertise in, in obesity medicine or in medical management, but they are the expert in themselves and they know what's worked for them in the past and what hasn't and what their current barriers are. So if you can open up that conversation, it's just so much more helpful (laughs) for the patient and you'll get so much further. Yes, you will. Rather than, yeah, having this, this, you know, kind of expert. um, Yeah. What I tell my patients when they come in is, um, we're forming a partnership here and you're an expert on you right. and and I'm an expert on obesity treatment and we're going to work together and we're going to figure out what works for you. 
and that will evolve with time. And so just saying that to start with mm. really sets a very different stage than, than what they're used to. Um, I also address the bias and stigma up front, and that can be a good way to broach the topic to say, you know, many people who carry extra weight have had negative experiences with healthcare providers and they i want you to know that's not going to happen with me i'm not going to yeah. blame you i'm not going to shame you i'm on your side and i really respect what you know about yourself and your weight and and i can't do this without you i really need you to participate in this and that just can you can just watch shoulders drop mm -hmm. and people just kind of sink in to, oh, phew, because they're yeah. really bracing themselves. And and I see that when new people come in, that they're just really bracing themselves and they're very afraid of, of what I might say that they're doing wrong. And so if you can really give them lots of credit for what they already know about themselves, what they've already tried. And honestly, when you get into treatment, it saves you so so much energy and time because they already know this works, this doesn't. And then you can work with that. And that doesn't mean you wouldn't revisit something that maybe didn't work before because sometimes it's it's about the way it's integrated into the treatment plan. But really just addressing that bias and stigma. And I will tell people that, you know, there's a lot of bias and stigma out there and you've likely absorbed that. And yeah. we're going to work to reduce that so that you can see this as a chronic health condition, not a moral failing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, so many times, especially, it's not like everybody, you know, when you say, would you like to discuss your weight? You know, would you like to, you know, work on this? It's not like everybody's like, yes, 100%, like gung-ho. There's so much ambivalence. And like you yes. said, it has so much to do with previous experiences. And there's a lot of fear and I think just by being able to sit your patient down and I do the same thing what you do, especially when I see somebody who I can tell, like they're kind of defensive, they're closed off. You can just tell with some new patients that they're really like not sure about this. They're on the mm -hmm. defense because yeah. of their experiences that they've had in the past. And so just by telling, I always tell them you are in the driver's seat. I'm here to support you wherever you are. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything that you don't want to do. In fact, you're going to come up with most of the solutions. Mm -hmm. And I'm just here yeah. to support you along the way. And, you know, I might have some extra tools that could help you achieve your goals. But you are in the driver's seat um, 100% of the way. And that, like you said, you see a huge difference in patients when they realize you're not going to be telling them to do something. or You're not judging them for what they're eating or what they're doing. You're not there to judge them. You're there to completely support them. And once they feel that support from you, and once they know that you're not going to judge them, that they're in a safe space, you know, they just, they come in and they tell you everything that's going yeah. on. And that's we what you sure really do. need to know. Yeah. With, without that, you're not going to get anywhere. If they feel like they have to tell you a perfect nutrition plan and that, you know, everything they ate was 100% perfect, that they're scared to talk to you about struggles that they're having, they're not going to get anywhere. Right. Yeah. And so I guess that kind of brings us to as far as, you know, relapses, because we know that relapses are in the very definition of obesity. So, you know, what do you do to 
to talk to your patients, to prepare them or to discuss relapses with them? And how do you handle that? If I don't know if we want to even call it a relapse as part of the disease, but you know, when people have setbacks, is that something that you address early on or how do you address that? It is. I actually do it in my initial education. I, I tell them that we're managing a chronic condition. It's going to have its ups and downs. Um, and when those downs happen, it doesn't mean that there's failure. It doesn't mean it isn't working. I use the analogy of the stock market, that it, go, it goes up and down and up and down. And we don't, you know, our, our advisors tell us, don't pull out your money, stay in there. It, it'll come back up again. And, and I tell them it's the same thing. And that we learn so much from what doesn't work as much as we learn from what does. And we get strong when we struggle. And that if they're struggling with something, it's not because they're not doing it right, it's because they're human. And I also explain that there's very few health conditions that require such attention to so many things throughout the day. You know, we give them an eating plan and a, a physical activity prescription and behavioral modification strategies and sometimes medications. And they have to think about these things multiple times a day. And it's very challenging to uh, stay focused on everything. And so it, it's normal to have those lapses in focus and, and they don't mean anything other than you're human and you're engaged in, in the process. Um, yeah, and and really, um, I, I use analogies of of other conditions that that if things are challenging, it doesn't mean that the patient is doing anything wrong or isn't trying hard enough. It could mean that our treatment options are limited, are not fully effective. And I say when you get treatment for something else, we if if it's not successful, we put the onus on the treatment, not on the person. Right. You know, if, if you treat someone for cancer and you give them, you know, the chemo and the radiation and do surgery and the cancer doesn't resolve, we don't say, wow, you failed. You didn't shrink your tumor. Mm -hmm. You know, we say, oh, our treatment wasn't effective. And so I use right. that language with them and I use that analogy with them to show them that, that, as much as we know, we still don't know enough to really address it effectively for everyone. Right, right. So true. And I think your analogies are, are beautiful and spot on and so true. And people really like, they're like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's what I, and I, I do the same thing too. And sometimes I'll use other analogies like back pain too, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe depending on your back pain, maybe you had to have surgery or maybe physical therapy, or maybe you're taking medications or whatever it is. There's different treatment modalities, right? Depending on the severity and what cause, you know, what the causes are. But, you know, if you've done all those things and you're, and you get your back pain under control pretty well, and then you wake up one morning and, and your back's just really killing you, you know, what do you do? What do you do when you have a setback? Typically what people do is they pick up the phone and they call the people who yes. help them get their back yeah. pain under yeah. control, yeah. right? Yeah. And what do we do when we're struggling with our obesity? The first thing yeah. people do usually is they want to pick up the phone and cancel their next yes, appointment. Yes, that is And totally so I tell true. them, yeah. same thing at the beginning, first day, everyone is going to have setbacks. 
Yeah. It's going to happen to everybody. So I yeah. want you to think about this when that happens is think about this, this conversation that we're having right now. And this is when I really need to help you. That's when I want to be yes. there for you the most. Not when things are going swimmingly yeah. and beautifully. That's yeah. great. We can celebrate together. But when things are hard, that's when I really want you to pick up that phone and see if you can get an earlier appointment so we can get you in as soon as possible. It doesn't mean it's a failing on your part, um, but I want to be there to support you in whatever way I can. Absolutely. Yeah, that's an excellent approach. Everything you're saying reinforces the concept of being partners, right? And right. you're sending the message, it's you and me against this disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and it's a tricky, tricky one, right? A tricky entity that we're trying to get under control and keep yeah. under control. And I really wish we had more options than we do. And I'm pleased to see the number of options keep increasing, but we still have a long way to go. And I really remind patients of that, that it's shortcomings in the treatment, not in them. Right. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. So true. Carly, I'd like to ask you, in addition to the way we talk to our patients about weight and obesity, what are some other ways that we can ensure that they're comfortable in, in their appointments with us? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing that needs to happen is to make sure that you have, you know, appropriate, uh, comfortable seating available for patients. So whether it's in the waiting room, um, in the treatment rooms, you have to have chairs that they can comfortably fit in uh, where uh, they have, you know, appropriate weight limits. It's something that we don't often think about, but it can be something that causes a lot of anxiety and worry for patients who struggle with obesity, especially severe obesity, that they won't have a comfortable place to sit, that they'll get stuck in a chair or that potentially a chair could break. That's something that prevents them from seeking medical care is, is they don't even know if there's a safe place for them. So, you know, I think it's important to think about those things and make sure that your environment is welcoming to patients, that you have appropriate seating for them, that they can be comfortable um, so I think that that's, that's important. Also things like blood pressure cuffs, making sure that you have either extra large or thigh cuffs to be able to take an appropriate blood pressure for these patients. So you have to have things in your office that are accommodating to them because if you don't, they're not going to feel welcome there. Um, they're not going to feel safe there. They're uh, that that's kind of that some of that implicit bias that I talked about that if they don't even you know fit in your office then that's clearly a sign that they're not really welcome there so I think first and foremost just having those basic necessities you know having a scale um, that goes high enough and that's in a private place and then I also think you know training training the staff so it's it's one thing of course for the provider they need to know how to communicate with the patient in a way that shows compassion and empathy and respect. But it's equally important that everybody else at the office also receives that training, um, that you, you train people not to make faces or comments when somebody's being weighed, even if they lost a lot of weight, right? It's like, stay professional, stay yeah. respectful, you know? So it's important that we train our staff on this. Um, also training them on what language to use, right? Language is so important when it comes to obesity. Um, so, you know, teaching your staff to discuss using words like, you know, weight, 
BMI. Those are words that are more preferred using words like nutrition and physical activity rather than diet and exercise. Um, so I think some of those things are important. And then also just you want to create a welcoming environment. So beyond just making sure that you have seating, you know, making sure that it's pleasant there for them. You want them, you are asking them to discuss something that's very personal. And so we want to make sure that they feel welcome and that it's a comforting environment uh, that shows compassion. So I know, Sam, what do you do in your office to, to give people that welcoming feeling? Well, um, I have painted the walls beautiful colors. I have some four foot tall golden angel wings hanging in the waiting room. And I have a lot of plants and artwork and decor items. Uh, and patients often comment, wow, it's really comfortable in here. It's very calm. It's, this is a really nice place to be. I like coming here. Um, and that reinforces how important it is to make everything safe and accommodating and comfortable. And we think of chairs, you know, in the waiting room, but there also need to be chairs in all of the exam rooms in any area where a patient might have to sit, like with the insurance coordinator or wherever it is they get their blood pressure taken. Um, and we also have to think about step stools and them having high enough weight limits and handles on them and exam tables that can uh, have the capacity to accommodate them and that are secure and won't tip or break um, because patients really can be very afraid of getting hurt, getting stuck, or the embarrassment of breaking something. So everything that you have has to be accommodating for them. And you talked about uh, educating the staff about words to use. And those are all excellent words. And I, I use those words all the time with patients and, and, and teach staff that as well. Um, but we also want to remember people first language. So we have people first language for other conditions like diabetes and autism. Uh, but we want to use that with obesity. We don't use the terms obese or morbidly obese or fat. Those are very derogatory terms and are really a turnoff for people. We want to say the person affected by obesity or uh, a person with obesity um, or like you said, weight, BMI, right? excess weight even. Yeah. And I will also add that we as clinicians say obesity is a disease. And we're doing that because we're trying to change minds that it's not a moral failing, it's not a lifestyle choice. But I find initially when I speak with patients that it's better to call it a chronic health condition. Mm -hmm. Some people find that disease to be a label and they find it off-putting. Yeah. Some people are quite relieved when they hear you say that. Um, and many people have a mix of both. Right. So really being attuned to the person you're talking to, and I will explain it to them that way, it's a chronic health condition. Um, when I teach other clinicians, I teach them it's a disease and here's why. So if you hear me say that, that that's why I refer to it as that. But I, 
I try to really gauge where they're at and and how I explain it. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and disease is a tough word, I think, a lot of times. And so, uh, you know, I, I will often use the word, you know, it's a chronic medical condition. Again, it, it kind of sound it's not as, as harsh as the word disease, even though when we talk to clinicians, we want to, you know, describe it as a chronic disease. Um, and I also, like you said, just trying to figure out what language the patient is comfortable with. And sometimes you can even mm -hmm. ask them, you know, what, what language are you comfortable with? What words yeah. would you like me to use when we discuss this? Again, you're, you're asking them and they appreciate the fact that you care enough to ask them and to care that they are comfortable. And, you know, and as far as you said too, you know, you, I know that you, you own your own practice and you're able to make it beautiful and comfortable. And, and I would just say for people who, you know, I haven't owned my own practice. I've always worked in, in hospital settings or in private practice. And so, you know, I wasn't able to change, you know, the colors on the walls or perhaps do some of the things that I would have wanted to do. But there's always small things that that I will do um, to make sure to make the, the patient rooms a little bit more comfortable and uplifting just by adding a little bit of greenery, a few plants, or maybe, you know, asking the office manager if, if maybe there's some different pictures um, you could have on the wall or something like that. You know, that's something that almost everybody can do uh, to, to help their patients just feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah. And in addition to that, um, thinking about the literature that's in the waiting rooms and the exam rooms and making sure that it's free of things that glamorize beauty and weight and um, thinness and even not having food mm -hmm. magazines out there, recipes, all of that, and really focusing on literature that promotes health. Right. And and not just in the waiting room, but in the exam rooms uh, as well, where people are, again, waiting for someone to come in. And you want to send an overall message that, that the concern is health, not weight. Right. Absolutely. And just to have that consistent message throughout and that it's that that message is conveyed by everybody in the office from the second they call to make an appointment to the person That's that right. greets them. Everybody has to be on board because if there's even one negative experience with a staff member or a phone call or something that feels stigmatizing or feels judging to that patient, that one experience can cause a lot of harm. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I think this has been a wonderful discussion and I think we could probably talk all day about this as we often do. <laughs> I agree. Yes, it's been an honor to to have this chat with you. And I know that you have an excellent rapport with your patients and that they're very fortunate to see you. And I really appreciate all the efforts you make in educating clinicians about how to treat obesity, how to approach it, and how to do it with compassion and knowledge. So thank yes, you. Yes, and same to you. I have learned from the best. I learned from you, Sam. And um, yeah, and I hope that all of the listeners out there can kind of see because obesity medicine is not just about the science, it's also about the art of it and how to have that conversation. And I think that that's something that's probably one of the most important things in obesity management is how we have this conversation 
with our patients and how we partner and collaborate with them to really help them the best that we can. So thank you so much, Sam. And thank you to everybody for joining us today. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Well, thank you so much, Sam and Carly. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you and gaining your perspective and insights on this extremely important topic. To our listeners, I hope you found this episode educational and can apply some of what was discussed to your own practice. If you're a nurse practitioner and not currently a member of AMP, I urge you to consider joining your professional organization. Membership gives you access to the AMP CE Center and hundreds of free CE with new activities added weekly. Don't forget that you can learn more about obesity and earn continuing education when Clinical Advantage Bootcamp Obesity Management Fundamentals launches in the CE Center in late December. You can find this activity and many others by visiting aanp.org forward slash CE Center. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new episodes. Mm-hmm.